you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Coming up on Huddle and Flow. I look today now at the NFL, just a year or two years later, and I look at their position today where players are uh, supported in uh, you know, any, any way you can imagine about protesting in ways that they feel comfortable. So I think the league has moved. We didn't fully recognize the realities of maybe in 16, 17. I think the league does now. And I think that owners generally do now. All right, welcome to the Huddle and Flow podcast. We are at the midpoint of the NFL season. I am joined by my Howard U brethren, my brother from another mother, Jim Trotter. Jim, we are at the halfway point. We're also post-election, so it's kind of a big weekend. It's a lot going on, man, but it's all good. You know, the interesting thing, Steve, how many people thought we would get to this point in the NFL season, if we're being honest, with everything that was going on with COVID? You know, the training camp situation, all of that. So props to the players, to the coaches, to the staffs, the league, the union. I know we've got some hot spots right now, things we're dealing with. But to get to this point is pretty significant. It is significant. And you think about some of the things that the league has battled through. I mean, the Miami Dolphins go to Arizona this week and win minus five assistant coaches, including the quarterback coach who relays in the plays to rookie Tua Tungbailoa, and they they managed to pull this out. I mean, these teams, everyone's adjusting, man. Definitely, he was outstanding, man. Hey, and look, the way Kyler Murray played too. I mean, the the when you Ooh. when you see, it's interesting. We see this fantastic. Well, it wasn't a fantastic Sunday night game. We see Drew Brees and Tom Brady playing in a blowout game that the Saints really kind of marked their territory in the NFC South, but. You see some of the older quarterbacks in the NFL. Phillip Rivers comes out in a real tough game against uh, the Ravens. But then, Jim, at the same time, we're seeing Justin Herbert. Man, he just did he did it again. I, I you know, the Chargers are one of these teams where it's just like, man, you love watching this kid, and every week he is just losing a different way. Um, but then you see Tua, you see Kyler. 
you see these young quarterbacks, and it's like, man, the NFL is going to keep on ticking, man. Isn't it incredible to think that Justin Herbert was the third quarterback taken in this draft, the way that he's played? Um, and and that in no way is to diminish anything that the two taken ahead of him have done because Joey um, Burrow has been outstanding, and Tua looks like he's the real deal too. I go back and say people talk about the quarterback class of 2004 where you had Eli, Phillip, and Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger. I would argue that this one could be every bit as good as that and potentially could challenge that that 83 class, you know, where you had Elway and you had um, Jim Kelly and, and Marino and those guys. These, these guys are off to an incredible start at the moment. Yeah, look at Tua, though. It's funny. The Dolphins, are, are of the three teams, that's the one team that looks like they're playoff bound. Oh, well, think about what they're doing, Stephen. You know this because you were at their game uh, two Sundays ago. They're getting contributions on every side of the ball. They're playing complimentary football. You know what? They've had a, 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 um, a fumble return, a, a strip sack fumble return for a touchdown each of the last two weeks. You know, um, Tua looked outstanding in this this duel, this showdown with Kyler Murray. The special teams have come through, whereas with Arizona, their kicker comes up short on a 49-yard field goal. So right. right now, Miami just looks so complete in terms of the way that it's playing. The other thing, and you know this having been around this game for a long time, teams start to get a feel, a vibe, a momentum, if you will. I know some people hate that word, but it's like where they just feel like they're never out of it and they're not going to lose, and there's just a rhythm to what they do. And I feel that with the Dolphins right now, when you look at how they're playing, that there is this inherent buy-in by everybody on that roster. It really is. And you look at the AFC. Also, you have a team like the Colts at 5-3. and three. They're outside of the playoff picture right now. And then you look at, of course, the NFC, and we've got that trash that is the NFC East. And then you look at some of these teams – who are on the fringe, who are kind of outside. But, Jim, this is where I want to get into this because we've got a fantastic special guest coming up, and that is Falcons owner Arthur Blank. He's the first owner that we have had on the Huddle and Flow podcast. Jim, you know, owners tend not to speak individually. So this was a big score for us um, because we're going to ask him a lot of things about his head coach, Raheem Morris, and the way that they're playing. And that's what I want to kind of get to right now. The Falcons have won Three of four. The Minnesota Vikings are cooking, and their record right now does not speak playoffs. But you talk about momentum. These seem like two teams that got off to just absolutely uncharacteristic and bad starts. We know the Falcons fired head coach Dan Quinn, but I cannot right now write either of these teams out of the playoff picture. No, I don't think you write them off. Right now I don't have them making the playoffs. Um Look, the, the Falcons right now could be 4-0 under Raheem Morris. And I want to say this. I was really critical of Todd Gurley uh, a few weeks back for scoring instead of falling down to stop the or, or to um, allow the Falcons to run out the clock at the end of the game and, and win that. But I got to say, too, that falls on Raheem Morris and not Todd Gurley because they had the first down there. There was no reason to even run a play. You just take a knee. So... I felt like um, this is my opportunity to say that that I was a little unfair towards Todd Gurley. And to me, that's coaching and that's situational football. But having said that, Raheem Morris has the Falcons playing up to their ability. You were on them from the beginning of the year to say that they had this ability to play in this way. And, you know, we'll let you hear what uh, Arthur Blank had to say had to say about Raheem Morris and his his chances of holding on to this job. 
Yeah, and just one thing before we get to Arthur Blank. This interview was recorded before the weekend. So it was before they they won this weekend against the Denver Broncos. Um, and it is just an absolutely fantastic interview because we don't just talk about Raheem Morris. We talk about the diversity issues. We talk about how Arthur Blank built his empire. And we talk about Arthur Blank also, Jim, the author and his book, Good Company. So on that note, let's get to Falcons owner and author, Arthur Blank. All right, Jim, we are joined by our first team owner on the Hot on Flow podcast. We've had general managers, we've had players, we've had great journalists, but Arthur Blank, uh, the team owner of the Atlanta Falcons, someone I've just got unlimited respect for. I, I covered the team for a long time, and Arthur was a newer owner then, and we, we've been through a lot. And Mr. Blank, just thank you so much for joining Jim and I. Absolutely. It's always um, a pleasure. I've obviously followed your career well, and I'm a big fan of Jim and a lot of his orientation about you know social justice and players' involvement and those kinds of issues and what have you, which I appreciate and honor. So it's uh, it's always good to see you and talk to you. So, um, Well, that's great. And, and Jim, Arthur, besides, you know, co-founder of Home Depot and AMB Foundation, he is a new author. Good company. Right, there we go. This book, fantastic. We both read it. So we're going to really, we're going to reflect, uh, you know, a lot on this book and this conversation, Mr. Blank. But first off, if you judge social media from your game Thursday night, the biggest takeaway was your red jacket on the sideline. Okay, so we have to. <laughs> All right, Arthur, who, you know, who, who's your tailor? Who's your designer? And, you know, because, I mean, you are smash hit now. You know, you know, what was really funny, Steve, with that is that it's, um, you know, I, I've probably 95% of the games that I've gone to in 20 years, I always wear a suit. And often it's a three-piece suit or a sweater or something underneath it. But it's always like a jacket and ties. So I figured, you know, Thursday night, I really got to change things up. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, support the team in any way that I can. Um, so I figured I'm, I'm just going to wear something a little more casual tonight. So, you know, it's it's so funny how that drew such attention. It's actually an old red corduroy. People wrote it's velvet. I actually do have a red velvet jacket, but it wasn't a red velvet jacket. It was a red corduroy jacket. Well, Mr. Blake, let's you know, let's kind of get down to brass tacks a little bit yep. too. And you know, since it's it's somewhat relevant, um, your decision. I've I've known you. We've been through when I covered the team, we've been through coaching changes together. And you're someone who hates doing it, especially during the season. And, you know, you, you let Dan Quinn go a little more than three weeks ago, Thomas Dimitrov. Why the timing it, to, to make a decision? Again, I, I know it probably is something that just graded against your nerves, knowing yeah. how you hate doing this. Um, you go back to the Super Bowl and, you know, since then, which is, you know, basically a two and a half year period of time, we've been playing ball at around a 45% win rate, which is, you know, a lot less than, you know, to be successful in the NFL. And as a result, we haven't been in the playoffs. We haven't had a competitive team. And, you know, I've said this since 2001, when I, I bought the team, I said, I, you know, we want to have a very competitive team and uh, one that's in the hunt, one you talk about before the season starts, one you're talking about as the season draws to its end, we're still in the mix. I think for the last two and a half years, we really have not been that way. And yet I will say, and I was you know, criticized somewhat for 
uh, carrying over Dan and Thomas at the end of last year. But, you know, the second half of the back, the second half of the year, we were a team that, you know, we won, our record was six and two. We were eighth in the league in offense, eighth in the league in defense and fourth in offense. And I had no reason to think that wasn't going to carry over to this year. So when you combine that with the record over two and a half year period of time, zero and five start, um, I, I felt that it was just important to make the change. And, you know, at some point, you know, we ask fans uh, for a lot. We ask them for their resources, for their time, their energy, their passion. Uh, we ask them for a lot to support our, our franchises across the league. And so I think unless you're going to be tone, tone deaf to them, and if you're tone deaf to the people that you serve, which in this case is our fans, uh, it's really a problem. And so I, I thought, you know, that they had had a long enough opportunity. I thought it was an opportunity to give Raheem a chance. And, uh, and my hope is that, you know, he'll end up being our head coach. Whether or not that'll happen or not, I really don't know. It's, it's a very difficult decision, uh, personally, because I love both of these guys. I love Dan as one of the finest human beings I've ever met or worked with in my life. Thomas, as I said to him, he had lunch here the other day with, you know, I said, Thomas, you've been here since 2008. We've got the eighth most wins in the NFL in that period of time, fourth most in the NFC. But, you know, sometimes change is required. Sometimes different voices need to be heard. Sometimes different assessments need to be made. Why do both? Well, you know, the, the last time, Jim, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. The last time we made the change with Coach Smith, and Coach Smith was somebody, you know, that Smitty did an incredible job. But I also felt that that time when we made this decision after a couple of really tough years with Mike, that there were things on the personnel side that I don't think were enhanced as much as they could have been by the coaching staff. And I felt that based on that, that Thomas deserved the opportunity to work with the next coach as well. And so I, you know, at that point, I, I really separated the two. Dan and Thomas have worked together, you know, they've been connected at the hip in every way. We understood that when we recruited Dan, Thomas understood that as well. So the results for the last, you know, six years with the two of them, the good, good times, which were great, you know, over a certain period of time, the last two and a half, three years have not been so good. Uh, they really were making decisions on a joint basis. And, uh, so I felt it was important to have a fresh look at the roster, fresh look at, you know, what we can do and can't do, where we needed help and where we can improve. And obviously um, a fresh uh, a fresh head coach. And uh, we'll see how that plays out. You know, Mr. Blank, I'm curious that I know the team was 0-5 and now with Raheem running the team, with the exception of a poor situational football at the end of the one game, it would be three under, under Raheem. And... That says to me, at least as an outsider, that the personnel is there to win. And the change in coaching now has has brought on three or what should have been three straight victories. So yeah. do you look back in any way and reflect and say, maybe I made a mistake in terms of if the personnel is good enough to win here, maybe I shouldn't have gotten rid of Thomas and maybe it was coaching. No, I think I think the areas that have changed um, under this under Tom, under under Raheem were areas I think that we probably could have changed before, in my opinion. Um, and I think we needed a general manager maybe who was uh, had a different relationship with the head coach that could have uh, brought certain things to light or shared other viewpoints that maybe he probably didn't share honestly. 
Uh, I think the personnel is, uh, you know, you can go up and down a lineup and, you know, we have a lot of firepower on offense. Our offensive line is finally playing together. We've had two first round picks this last year playing on the offensive line. Alex Mack, you think he's a hundred years old, but he keeps playing like a kid. He won't play like that forever, but you know, Jake is having a good year, a left tackle. It's a gentleman we free agent two years ago is now stabilized and is playing well. So, you know, and we brought in Todd Gurley. We brought in, you know, the uh, Hurst young man, the tight end, who's having a really good year for us. And so, you know, we've got a lot of firepower on offense, and we should be scoring points. And Matt Ryan is Matt Ryan, and Steve knows him well, and I obviously know him well. And, Jim, you're a fan of the game, and you understand what Matt is. He's one of the, you know, is he is he the two or three best quarterbacks in the league right now? Some people would argue yes, no, but he's certainly an elite quarterback and somebody has performed well over 13 years. And on defense, we've got a lot of young, very talented players. And to some extent, it's putting them in a position where they can win. And I think that Raheem has done a really good job in that in that regard. And I think that uh, that uh, Thomas would say that too. And could have been some issues that Thomas maybe could have raised or should have raised earlier, possibly. But um, you know, they, they I, I'm not going to be critical of, of either one. I think the time had come for a change that made sense um, to me, to our organization, uh, and to our fans. We're going to be honest with you here um, and talking yeah, about some of these issues. And you talked about Raheem, if this goes well, and getting a good look to him as possibly having a chance to keep that job as head coach. But I have to be honest with you and say that when you had your press conference after you made the change, and I know you were joking about if Raheem goes 11-0, and 0, he would be considered for that job. Yeah, Raheem doesn't have to go 11-0. and 0. He, just, he just has to beat the Saints twice, the Buccaneers twice, and Kansas City in their home. That's all the last five games of the year. <laughs> but but no, even, I, no, Mr. Mr. Blank, I know yeah. you're joking, yeah. but I guess I would say to you, in this climate in the NFL today, as we talk about the lack of diversity among head coaches and general managers, should that even be something that we're joking about at this point? Well, I, I, I you know, I the, the fact the fact is the reality is that you know in our all of our businesses and me personally, I am colorblind, so I would. I would have made that same comment no matter who the interim coach would have been. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, I don't think we should make a head coach selection or a GM selection based on the color of somebody's skin. I clearly think that diversity, I've served on the, the very first committee that we had with, uh, with Dan Rooney uh, and I've been on that committee all the way through and all of our businesses are very diverse and our foundation, it's diverse by itself and the work we do, you know, throughout the United States is really very diverse. So I, you know, people know who I am and what I am in that regard. So I think, you know, I mean, Raheem will be looked at um, as any other coach will be. And um, I've known him for a long time. I, you know, I think he's a good guy. <clears throat> I think he's got a lot of credentials. He's not the same man he was when he was 32 and he became a head coach. You know, 12 years later, he's matured a good bit. Uh, 32, it's hard to be a head coach in the NFL. It's not impossible, but it's hard to do. 12 years later, I think he's had a lot of great experiences and I think he's learned a lot. And uh, and I wish him all the, I wish him all the success he can possibly have for his benefit and for our benefit. So Arthur, when you're, you know, we, we know the enhanced Rooney rule, all the stuff that has to come down the pike when you're right. when you're looking for it, but what do you want? It's a question Jim and I ask of Owen. <clears throat> what exactly is it? that you yourself are looking for in your next GM and your next head coach, whether it be Raheem or whomever? Number one, if somebody doesn't live our culture, they're not going to be hired. 
period. I mean, I don't care who they are and whatever the track record is, it makes no difference to me because I think living our culture in the full sense of it, all these six core values we discuss in detail in the book, we want them to believe in them, want to understand them, to want to articulate them, and most importantly, we want them to live them. Beyond that, we're looking for somebody who's the very best at what they do, so we have the, the best opportunities to have the, the best roster put together, general manager, personnel department, the best coach and coaching staff. The ability as a head coach to not only you know have a vision and how you want to play the game, defend it, special teams it, offense, et cetera, defense, <clears throat> but you want to have somebody who can identify top talent as coordinators, top talent as position coaches. Uh, and that's uh, and that's an important task uh, because your success is not going to be dependent totally on your ability, but the ability of a lot of other people that you're working in concert with. In reading the book, what was so fascinating to me is that I'm trying to juxtapose what I'm reading versus what I'm seeing in the NFL today, um, beyond just what the Atlanta Falcons are doing. And and again, I want to keep it honest with you here. Um, yep. There were times there where I felt there was conflict between what was written and what we're seeing. And I'll give you an example, and this, this relates from an NFL standpoint. So during this whole social justice movement, like in the book, you, you wrote, it's time we get beyond the idea that profit and purpose are at odds and embrace the more empowering truth that when a good company does well, it benefits everyone. And I believe that to be a, a, an honest statement, but when I look at it, as an outsider, it appeared to a lot of folks that the NFL was putting profit over people when it decided in 2018 to change the anthem policy to stop the players from being able to demonstrate on the field. And so I know in there you said you were never against your players demonstrating and that you supported what they were fighting for. But can you understand how people on the outside might view it as the league was putting profit over people in that instance when they tried to squash the players demonstrating during the anthem? Yeah, well, I, I don't think the word squash, <clears throat> Jim, was the, the right word. I was on the inside of, you know, uh, the meetings and I was in also part of the uh, social justice, the national group that works with the Players Coalition and the NFLPA. You know, I would say this, um, you know, when you look at these societal problems that we're having, I had a long conversation with, um, um, John Lewis, about a month before he passed away. <clears throat> and one of the things he said to me, he said, you know, understand that we've made a lot of progress since the 50s and 60s. Um, and obviously he was, you know, a disciple of Dr. King and lived through all of that. Understand the reality of where we are today. We have a lot of work to do and understand that we have to continue to move from protest to progress. Separately, uh, Andy Young, who was a a close friend, another disciple of Dr. King, pretty much separately in a separate conversation, almost said exactly the same thing. He said, you have to understand that we've made progress, but you also have to recognize, I'm talking about you being the American population, we are we are today, and we got more progress to make. So as it relates to the NFL, I would say, you know, the notion of moving from uh, protest to progress probably started in 1617 when um, Colin began to kneel and other players did with him. It obviously got heightened a great, great deal by our president and comments he made about that in 17. Um, I, I think the league was, I think individuals were trying to wrestle with in their own mind that transition. How do we 
do the right thing for the players, how do we do the right thing for our fans, how do we do the right thing for our sponsors, et cetera. So what I'm saying is that I look today now at the NFL just a year or two years later, and I look at their position today where players are uh, they're supported in uh, you know any, any way you can imagine about protesting in ways that they feel comfortable. So I think the league has moved that we didn't fully recognize the realities of maybe in 16, 17. I think the league does now. And I think that owners generally do now. And I think you have a different sense of ownership of part of, we have to be part of the solution. We have to be better listeners. We have to be better listeners to our players, better listeners to the communities, better listeners to people in leadership to understand fully these issues. And actually being a better listener means taking time to understand and really try to walk in their footsteps as best you can or have it articulated to you in ways that the people who live through these kinds of situations can best explain it to you. Was there a flashpoint, do you think, where it changed? Uh, <clears throat> you know, that's a really good question, Jim. Um, but I think the, the amount of protests, the, the significance of it, the numbers of people involved in it has created an awareness today and a sense that, you know, we need to collectively come up with the better answers than we have had in the past is really important. So I do think as reflecting back on John Lewis, who was a dear close friend and Andy Young, who was God with, still with us and a close friend, they, they understand that, you know, we've made progress and it's important to at least acknowledge that compared to when they first started their journeys, but we have a long way to go. And the way we got to do it is by having protests, creating with John, John Lewis should say good trouble, not good company, but good trouble, one of his favorite expressions, and creating good trouble, but in a positive way, and then insisting that, you know, through registration, through voting, we have people in office at every level, city, county, state, federal, that represent, you know, us and our aspirations to be the kind of country that we want to be proud of. Well, Mr. Blank, again, the book is called Good Company. And one thing, you know, the, you know, Jim and I, we, we've read this thing thoroughly, but one thing you stress over and over, again, you're the co-founder of Home Depot, and you talk about when you run your company, you talk about a certain culture, and you hire a certain way, it, it enhances comp competition, other companies. So I, I want to relate this to the NFL, especially when it comes to diversity in, in executive positions, right? What are you doing with the Falcons to make sure that the executives and the people who sit around that big round table in your office there in Buckhead is diverse to make sure that you are hearing all the voices that you talk about right. your, your associates in the community, the people on the West side of Atlanta, but in the actual decision-making room, what are you doing to make sure it's diverse? So I think, you know, number one, we have a, a diversity and inclusion council, which basically is made up of all of our businesses. So it includes representatives, the Falcons, our soccer team, our stadium, our, our, our guest ranches. The diversity is an issue for all of us. And we were going through a microscopic examination internally to make sure that, you know, all of our the best practices are in place, that we're hiring the right way, creating accountability, make sure we have a pipeline, doing it with great intention. And that's what it really takes. It takes, you know, you have to be intentional about wanting to see these changes take place. It doesn't mean that you promote people, give people you know, promotions that they shouldn't have, but it does mean that you create as level playing field as you possibly can. So we're doing that, I think, throughout all of our businesses. Uh, are we perfect in it? Probably not. We probably have a little work to do. We've asked Troy Vincent and, De and Dacia Smith to come down and spend a full day talking about, you know, and we're probably the first club that has asked them to actually travel, you know, to come to Atlanta. We said, we're not doing this with a Zoom call. 
you come when you can come, when you can be here in person and have the impact that we need to have, of course, our leadership team, et cetera. Uh, and so we, we, we're trying to be good listeners and trying to understand where are opportunities for improvements. We have great intentions, but intentions are one thing. We got to create those intentions have to create into opportunities and opportunities into jobs filled. You know, Mr. Blank, that's that's a great segue into what I wanted to ask you about, because you talk in your book that, and you say you have to walk the talk. Yeah. And, and when I looked, when I went on your website and I pulled up the executives in the Falcons organization and it lists 19 names, and there was only one person of color in that. And as I read it, I'm thinking that's not the Arthur Blank that I know. And that's not the Arthur Blank that I've read about in the book. So how do I balance those two? Well, I think, you know, we're on our own journey in that regard. But we were, you know, we were clear in trying to understand. And that's why this diversity committee is going to challenge us and why we're bringing in, you know, Daisha and Troy to make sure that we're looking at our own behavior and making sure that we can that we can look at that and say that table needs to be more. I mean, we have plenty of women, we have some Hispanics, we, but we don't have the kind of uh, representation that we should from a, from a racial standpoint. And we understand that we got, we got to fix it. So I want to, I want to make sure I say this, Mr. Blank, that people yeah. understand, for instance, when you were building the stadium, you went out and you made sure that at least a third of, of the business went to minority owned companies. Right. Right. Um, you gave jobs to people in that West side community. So when I ask you these questions, I think people need to understand what your track record is on some of this. No, that's um, fine. Those are good questions. <clears throat> but so you have done a lot of work in that area. And that's why I was a little confused as I looked at these things and I read the book and I'm like, that's not the guy I know. Well, you're, you're right. And that that's an area that we uh, we need to have create more opportunities and be more intentional in our thinking. So, I mean, to your point, you know, on the West side, which is, you know, 95% of it is African-American through just our West side works program. We've, we've trained, there was 6,500 people living there. When we started to build a stadium, we've trained over a thousand of uh, individuals from those communities and well-paying jobs, you know, stability They come back to their homes. They feel good about who they are. They're brought back over $11 million of earned income. So, you know, we feel good about that. I mean, I, we know that our track record by and large is excellent, but it needs to improve in certain areas. And I think the area that you and Steve are pointing to is, are both accurate. And I think we need to do more work with that. And Arthur, we know you have to get out. Uh, you know, we have one last question for you since we're talking about some of this diversity issue. And again, it's, it's such a hot topic with coaches and GMs. You know, when you, whether it's Raheem or not, how intentional to use your words will you be to make sure that you canvas every layer for diverse candidates for both jobs qualified diverse candidates for both jobs you know the last thing that i would ever do um is promote somebody based on the color of their skin i mean that would be that's counter everything that's in good company it's counter right. my culture and it's not what any any legitimate candidate would want they would never want to feel like you know, it's like that whole discussion that was held last year. And Jim, I think you were familiar with Steve, you are as well about potentially changing, you know, in, in terms of the diversity committee, if somebody was promoted they, and, and the team would get an additional draft pick if they were a person of color, et cetera. You know, one of the reasons I was not in favor of that then is that because if I was a person of color, I'd always be thinking, well, I wonder if I got this job because I got this job, 
ought to get it because it was another third round pick, a fourth round pick. It's different when you're talking about are you training people? If you're training people and they're being taken away from you and they're diverse candidates, that's great. And you should be rewarded. It could be rewarded for that. But, you know, that's that's you're helping the cause. It's not, you know, it's not something that's going to take away from the person who has the opportunity. So my, uh, you know, my answer to you is that our candidate slate will be very diverse. We will, and after it's, after it's very diverse and what have you, we'll be very intentional about making sure the candidate pool is rich with diverse candidates. Beyond that, we're going to interview everybody as though they're the same color, whatever color you want to pick, red, blue, green, black, white, I don't really care. We're going to look for the very best person. Um, and I'm, I'm never going to put myself in a position, our organization, or that one person in a position, where they're going to feel in any way, shape, or form they got the job because of the color of their skin. That's doing them a huge disservice, and that's the wrong message to send. You know, Mr. Blank, I wanted to ask one thing before we go. Yeah. Some of okay. the ideas that, that you've brought to the NFL were counter to the way that the league did business prior to you arriving. Um, even going so far back as you changing your concession prices. I wonder from your standpoint during your time in the league, how have you seen the league change in terms of the new thinking that's coming in as you add different owners and different people? I think number one, a lot of the new owners, newer owners come from um, businesses and industries that require uh, understand the issues of diversity and the issues of opportunity and the issues of intentionality because of the nature of the businesses that we're running today in America. Not totally, but I also think that, you know, some of the older families that I think about, the Rooney family and the Mara family, et cetera, that have been in the league and the, and the Hallis family, uh, the, the McCaskies. I mean, these are people that are, you know, have deep rooted good values, I think. And, and I think they, when challenged, I think their families have stepped up and are stepping up and providing leadership as well. So I think that what I, what I see generally what's pushing new owners forward, old owners forward, families forward, et cetera, is this sensitivity, awareness, awareness of, of, of what diversity really means and what you know, uh, support intentionality really means. And the leadership that Roger, I think, um, I think his leadership in this regard has been very powerful. I think he feels it strongly. I think it's part of his, uh, his own heritage with his father, uh, who was, you know, a great U.S. Senator. Uh, but I, I, I also think that uh, we have diversity around the league. Now you go to, you, you go to the park Avenue, you go to the league office and you see great diversity, both in color and in terms of gender today, which is wonderful. And I think you're seeing more and more of that. Well, Mr. Blank, we, we can't, we know you got, we're looking at the clock here. We know you got an important meeting coming up, but again, folks, the book is Good Company by Arthur M. Blank. It's fantastic because Arthur, reading the book and knowing you for 15 years, we didn't get to talk about, I mean, the scene you wrote about where your, your family was held at gunpoint in your apartment in New York when you were a kid. That's an incredible story. I know it is. We didn't get to talk about yeah. what you went through with Michael Vick that you and I both lived. It was a, just like the worst year of our probably careers in, in that. So hopefully we can get you back on here to circle back on, on yeah. some of these things. But to piggyback one thing off what Jim said, Mr. Blank, we know your heart. We know you love the city of Atlanta. I have seen you do so many things to improve the lives of so many people in the city of Atlanta. And hopefully some of that progress you're talking about league-wide with the Falcons in the city, wherever is coming. But you are a genuine 
Uh, wonderful man. I've got tremendous respect for um, and and just really, really appreciate you joining us here on the Huddle and Flow. And Jim, if you got anything else? I would just thank you both for, you know, obviously everything that you've done and, and your sensitivity on these issues and bringing them up and and uh, getting them surfaced, getting them discussed and, um, by everybody. And the more we do that, the more progress we'll make. Um, so um, I'm, I'm, I thank you for asking me to share some time with you anytime in the future. I would always enjoy that. And Jim, happy to spend time with you at, a, at any point. So uh, we'll look forward to the next picture you have of our, um, of our leadership around that table. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be even more diverse than it currently is. So thank you. I look forward to that. And it's always fascinating to me to see someone do what others thought they could not do and do it in a way that they thought they could not do it as you as you express in that book. So thank you for coming on and thank you for hearing me out on some of these well, questions. I, I think it's, you know, uh, I would say to anybody that's interested in any form of business is that you can have both ends of the barbell. You can lift the weight of profitability, which is important for capitalism. You want to have sustainability in any organization. But at the other side of it, you want to live with purpose. The end of the day, without living with purpose is, is not a, uh, a nourishing way to feel. And to live with purpose, not only from as a leader, but our associates feel that way uh, is, a, is a very special thing. So it's um, I'm, I'm honored to be part of this cultural awareness and hopefully uh, more people will, will respond the same way. Uh, real quick, just Mr. Blank, I thought it was fascinating you talking about, one, you don't call your employees employees, you call them associates. And then two, saying that the most important people are the people closest to those with their feet on the ground, as opposed to those with the big titles. I think we could all learn from that. Well, that's the reason, Steve knows this. I've always asked, uh, periodically I'm asking, I say, well, you know, why do you go down the field in the middle of fourth quarter? I've done, I've done it for 20 years because I, the, the message there for the players and the coaches is that um, win or lose, you know, it doesn't make a difference, whatever it may be. I want them to always know that I'm there with them, side by side with them, shoulder to shoulder with them, that, you know, I'm never up in a box someplace slurping down a bunch of drinks and, you know, I'm immune to all of it. I'm there with them as best I can be with them. And so that identification with, in this case, a broad term of associates, but in all of our businesses, you know, I, um, I serve food at our ranches. I uh, help clean up our suite at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And it's understanding at the very top, the people we're serving are the people that, you know, guests, fans, customers, and we do it through our associates who are closest to those people. And I'm way at the bottom, the very bottom as a servant leader to help support and provide some guidance. So that's my job. And Mr. Blank, next time you come down on the field, do not be bashful about rocking the red jacket. Okay. I, 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 won't hot, <laughs> I won't be. You know, Raheem will, Raheem will probably say to me, you know, you ought to wear it now every game until we lose, if we ever lose again. So uh, Do it. anyway, it's, uh, I got you, man. Take care. Well, Steve, again, I just, I want to thank Arthur Blank for number one, um, not running from the tough questions and being willing to sit there and address it, not only address it, but to say they have to do better. And I think that's a first step, hopefully, to correcting what everyone in the league, for the most part, um, believes is an issue in terms of the lack of diversity among head coaches, GMs, and even some executive positions within the NFL. 
Absolutely. And I, I know I just, I love the fact he said, look, I'm not trying to hire someone on their skin color. And I love the fact he was critical of the suggestion last year, or maybe it was early this year yeah. of teams being compensated for hiring a coach based on ethnicity. Um, you know, look, Arthur Blank, we've, we've both known him for a long time. He does not run. He does not hide. Um, and this was really bold of him because we would have got a lot of political answers from a lot of other owners who might have wanted to do this. So he knew what he was getting into when he came on the Huddle and Flow podcast. And much respect. And also, people, if you can, I'm not trying to shill for, but the Good Company book by Arthur Blank, there's a lot more to it than what we talked about. A lot of really cool anecdotal stories, I think, that you can apply to your own existence um, to make a lot of things you do even be a better human, um, really apply. Jim, before we got to here, you know, we, we're at kind of the midway point and we're looking at some of these uh, fantastic stories and, and fantastic players. You know, you get back though to, I, you know, I keep coming back to Alex Smith, <laughs> you know, Washington football. He's going to start next week. He's already been declared the starter because Kyle Allen, the Washington football team's quarterback is hurt. And again, I know, you know, Alex well, and, you know, and I think, you know, in this in this kind of point of the season when some of us, not all of us, some of us can see a little different hope for a better place in the world, Alex Smith, again, just gives me even just everything he's fought through to get to this point just makes me feel a little bit better. You know, Steve, if you took his story to Hollywood and said you wanted to make a movie about it, they would laugh you out of the building and say there's no way that this is true. I really don't have words for it. I, it's just an incredible story of perseverance, of will, and, and of love. When you think about his wife and his family and what they had to endure and his wife being you know, there with him every step of the way. And as I said before, you know, once we saw that he was not going to lose his life, that he was not going to lose his leg, and you see the graphic images of, of the surgeries that were done, my my personal feeling was that's good enough, Alex. Go enjoy your family. Don't take any chances. But as I've said before, this is not my journey. This is his journey. And what a journey it's been. And, and like you and I think everyone else, um, I pray for him. I hope for the best for him. And it, it, I just have no words for it. It's just remarkable what he has done and what he is doing. Jim, something tells me. I swear it's just I'm not trying to be. I hope you're right. Romantic here. Something is telling me that the Washington football team is going to be in play for a playoff berth under Alex Smith. Oh, I can't go that far. I thought you were. I'm just saying in this division, you look at this division, nobody's out of it. You might five, six wins might get the, get them there. You know, Steve, I can't go there. I thought what you were going to say is that Alex would win in the start on, on Sunday and, and, um, so I was with you on that. In terms of them making the playoffs, I just can't go that far yet. Um, no. You know, but, but to your point, anything is possible in the NFC East. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at just all the lines with that football club, right? Their head coach gets cancer. He's, he's gone through his treatments. Alex Smith goes through holy hell with a staph infection and 80, you know, with 20-some procedures on this leg. Just something seems there it's not pretty now it's 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 a mess now but just i don't know i don't know i want to take us out i want to take us out on a good note here jim i'm just i'm just kind of i'm just kind of feeling in bet in a better mood these days 
Hey, I, I have no problem with it. I would love to see them go to the playoffs just as I would like to see any team go. But you're right. It has been an incredible year for the Washington football team from Ron Rivera bat- battling cancer to Alex coming back. It would just make for a heck of a story. I know that. It would make for a heck of a story. And I'm going to leave it at that and hope for the best. And um, just this Sunday, let's start there for Alex and his family. I can't. I can never think of Alex without his family. If you watch that beautiful special, that Stefania Bell did on ESPN and you see his wife next to him through this entire process. I, I cannot separate the two um, because I think traditionally we don't give enough credit to the wives and, and how important they are to a, a player's success. So um, man, just, just, it, it's, it's touching. To a player's success, a coach's success and Jim, our, yes. our success. So 100%. All right, Jim, why don't you bring us home? Yeah, so look, again, thank you for listening. We appreciate you all. And um, again, subscribe, leave a review. um, Let us know what you want to hear so that we can give you more of what you're funking for. What you're funking for. All right, for our producer, Thomas Warren, I'm Steve Weiss, Jim Trotter. We are the Howard Mob, and we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 